All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from the Borough of Queens. It is the 11th day of October 2022. I do like to remind you I publish a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Um, you can go sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com and Michael Oliver, who is with us today, publishes an excellent newsletter, one that has really saved my life in a number of ways, uh, in the gold markets anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm very, really, really a big fan of Michael, which is why he's here every other week on a regular basis with us. OliverMSA.com is the place to go to to sign up for uh, Michael's letter uh, that, that deals with structure and momentum and uh, a different way of looking at things and it served his clients very very well so michael as i said will be with us shortly and of course we want to thank all of you for listening to this show making it one of the more popular shows in the voice america business channel and um you you can always send in your questions any comments you have about this show by going to questions for taylor at gmail.com questions number four taylor at gmail.com and we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible uh this week's sponsors irving resources novo resources gold bull resources eloro resources reina gold mining and lion one metals i've titled today's show was the boe's pivot a warning of things to come alistair mcleod michael oliver and dr quentin henning return as guests today with regard to the title of today's show based on news from the bank of england just this morning it seems as though the answer to the question asked in the title of today's show is yes. It does seem that the Bank of England's actions on September 28th are, in fact, a warning of things to come, because just as I said just this morning, we learned that the Bank of England Central Bank, uh, that is England's Central Bank, the Bank of uh, the BOE, has expanded its bond buying program amid a historic rout in the bond markets with the stated aim of ending the fire sale and halting the market dysfunction. Well, for those of you who may not be familiar with what took place on September 28th, the Bank of England announced it would begin buying the 30-year UK Treasury bonds, known as gilts. Uh, when that rate, uh, when the rate on those bonds reached a 20-year high of over 5%, it did that because pension funds and other institutions were very rapidly approaching insolvency and a major liquidity squeeze as, inher- as interest rates were adjusting closer to their natural rates, leaving bond purchases, the, the, leading those bonds purchased by pension funds with severe losses. Of course, the Bank of England is just one of all central banks that have engaged in this damaging market-rigging interest rate uh, scam that goes way back, uh, back essentially um, – being enabled by President Nixon back on August 15, 1971, but it has been progressively more and more debt uh, has been doing has been getting these countries into more and more trouble, and it does seem as though we may be nearing the end in some sort of uh, very unpleasant fashion. Um, so the fear of a liquidity crisis among pension funds is what is it's caused by these rising rates. And that prompted the Bank of England to pivot on September 28th, as I said, even though it was expected to raise rates on that day by as much as 1%. Now, Alistair uh, McLeod emailed me on October 4th stating, and I quote, the Bank of England's action probably was a turning point. Equally, it could be claimed that the public discovery that Credit Suisse has issues could have persuaded the Fed that higher interest rates bring forth systemic risks. 
we may have a clearer idea on eleventh on uh, on the eleventh of this month when I'm on your show the next time. End of quote. Well, as far as I know, the Fed is not buckling under to growing pressures uh, in the markets from England and elsewhere. Uh, of course, all these markets are intertwined, and so face masks and isolating in place won't deter the virus any more than it did COVID. It won't deter this financial virus any more than it did uh, the, the COVID virus. We will seek Alistair's uh, take on prospects for the global market, especially it's be interesting to have him on again uh, just this day when the Bank of England uh, has uh, added to their uh, to their QE program that was uh, initiated on the 28th of September. Right after our first commercial break, we'll be talking to Dr. Quentin Henning. He'll join me to give us an update on one of the most exciting gold exploration stories that I cover in my newsletter, that being the story of a major high-grade alkaline gold deposit in Fiji that Lion One is moving towards production on. Last week, the company reported some more very high-grade intercepts that we will ask Quentin to comment on. Uh, when he joins me after the uh, first commercial break that will take place in just a few minutes from now. But until we get there, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again. Thanks again, Michael, for coming on our show. I'm glad to be here. Um, two weeks ago on this show, you explained why you couldn't join a loud and growing chorus of price-orientated technical analysts who were suggesting gold was in a very strong bear market. And I want to thank you personally, again, because you've kept me from getting whiplashed in and out of these gold markets over the years. Uh, since you've been on this show, since I first learned of your work, it's been very helpful to me and I'm sure uh, to countless other subscribers. So I want to thank you very much. But I'm wondering, uh, now that gold has rallied a bit since you saved, uh, saved, well, you saved a lot of us from selling a couple of weeks ago, um, what, what, are your, what is your take on the gold markets right now? Well, it's uh, at the end of last month, we recalculated a lot of numbers because a lot of our key moving averages shifted, and therefore the point at which certain momentum trend structures would break, either upside or to the downside, also shifted because those averages shifted. Okay, so we recalibrated a lot of things, we, and especially in the case of the dollar and gold, we specified very precise numbers that if you trade on in the dollar, to a given level, that we thought it was over. The dollar, mm -hmm. in fact, peaked. Mm -hmm. Well, instead, what did we have? We had a sell-off in the dollar early that stopped exactly one-tenth of one percent in front of our number and then uh -huh. rebounded. Okay, uh -huh. so what did that tell us? Does it say, well, it's, it's holding support? No, it's holding a level on momentum that it's used so many five times now in the last four months Oh. Not on price, can't see it on price, but a momentum chart, it's a flat floor. It's used it now mm -hmm. five times. When we see that kind of behavior, we know that our numbers are good, meaning mm -hmm. you better not go back there again. Now, that mm -hmm. number's below you, so we, we know where it is, and if you go there, it's just below the low of last week. Again, by one-tenth of one percent, it's over. Dollar rally, mm -hmm. I think, is over at that point, in which case you get downside. What would cause that? Well... You know, there seems to be this ongoing sense that, well, dollar's going to go up to 120. I'm talking dollar index now. And uh, euro's no good. Yen's no good. They're all no good, okay? It's all a relativistic measure. Um, but the problem is, what you've just mentioned is, we now have a bond market problem, not just with rising rates everywhere and dropping prices, and therefore pension funds are in jeopardy and so forth. But in the U.K., it's become a situation so that um, they had to intervene, they had to alter policy. Now, mm -hmm. you know, we can't sit over here and say, well, we, we're in good shape, we don't need them. That's not true. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Remember the 1998 collapse and the uh, certain major hedge fund and the stock market broke hard because of the co collapse in the Thai bot and mm -hmm. also the Russian right. ruble had a problem. The, the Thai bot, okay, here, we're talking British pound now. Okay, uh, we're talking a major crisis problem, and when they get mm -hmm. in at the, this level, where the central bank of England has to literally reverse course overnight and go from raising rates to the opposite, that tells you how close we are to, to chaos theory. Mm -hmm. In other words, rather than an incremental trend, as we've had for some months now, uh, it could go dramatically rapid. 
uh, to where all of a sudden it's like 52-card pickup in, in a lot of markets, not just in their markets. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, at the close of last month, gold was at 1660 area. We put out a number on gold that we wanted to see a daily close above. So what did gold do? It ran up to our number, traded above it, and closed the peak day of this month, $1 below our number, <laughs> and since pulled back. So one-tenth of a percent difference on the dollar index and $1 short of our number on gold. Those numbers are now highly validated because of the response we've just had to those numbers, meaning they didn't break out. You better mm-hmm. not go back there again because the market, in effect, has marked the spot. Mm-hmm. Do I think those numbers will be triggered? Highly likely, because of the nature of the events that you discussed before I came on. Right. Uh, we now have a, a non-incremental trend crisis, and it's highly likely to snap the necks of central bankers around the world. I don't care what they want to talk about, inflation and so forth. Uh, their ultimate goal is to defend the state, defend the debt of the government, and if all of a sudden that becomes in jeopardy, uh, we're no longer talking mortgage-backed securities. We're talking government bonds. Mm-hmm. Okay, so no matter what comforting things Ben Bernanke said the other day, mm-hmm. about, oh, this isn't comparable to 2008. Well, got to remember back then Bernanke said there's no real estate crisis. Right. Yep. That's, <laughs> okay. That's what so he said. He says, oh no, there's no problem with a, a government bond thing. It's, it's not not a big deal. Uh, so take him at his word. Uh, fade him. Uh, <laughs> so I think we are literally at a at a point in market time where many of the markets that we're all interested in could move rapidly because of the, these dynamics of these events that were not on the plate of the Fed when they started raising rates. They had no concept that the sort of things could happen that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, I think it's 52-card pickup could be right around the corner. Yeah, it wasn't in their it wasn't in their Keynesian playbooks. The Austrian no, uh, economists have you know, the Austrian economists have been predicting this day for years and years. Uh, they've been a little premature, but it looks like it's about to happen. Unfortunately, well, uh, what about silver, Michael? With a couple of minutes left, well, uh, you you were thinking was, uh, you know it's still the screaming child, but it, it's recent action. Um, we measure it uh, week to week and also month to month versus gold. And I don't mean just the spread chart where you plot the price of silver versus gold, but we measure the momentum of that. And uh-huh. as far as we're concerned, the close uh, last month was a breakout, mm-hmm. indicating there's a shift in the relative performance of silver to gold to the positive, meaning silver should outperform gold going forward. That doesn't mean every day is going to reflect that, no, period. But the big picture says that that relative shift, which is disfavored, silver since uh, early 2021, it's been underperforming gold, has now shifted back to positive. And what's good news about that is there's a high correlation between the relative performance of silver versus gold and the net trend of silver versus gold, silver Mm -hmm. and gold, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. silver shifts to an outperformed status, if you go back and look, you'll also see that around that time, gold and silver will turn up in price. Mm-hmm. with silver at the lead. And similarly, if it goes the other way, for instance, in early 2021, the silver-gold ratio turned down by our metrics. It didn't collapse. It just eroded for a year and a half. And sure enough, what happened to the silver market? It eroded for a year and a half consistently, and gold went to the bottom of its range and popped through it for a week or two. Mm-hmm. So, but that spread has now shifted. So I think it says that that's another thumbs-up uh, in the background of the gold and silver market. Mm-hmm. And again, we have that specific number on gold that was missed by $1. <laughs> so yeah, a, we highly respect that number. Uh, yeah, that's and remarkable. I expect we're going to see it. Remarkable work, Michael. Uh, you get that close to the markets. And uh, just, uh, we're really almost out of time here, but if you can just give us your thoughts on oil and gas real quickly. Oh, I think that the key there is that uh, it's not an issue of whether they go up or down in a range. It's whether they hang around. That's Mm -hmm. the lethality of the energy markets right now in terms of the world economy. You don't have to collapse oil or take it up big, you know, to to do good or do bad to the economy. Just hang around, you know, 10 or $15 either side of a $100 crude, and that's choking to the global economy. And frankly, I think that's about the worst you're going to see out of oil over the coming 
several months. It's already been in that range for a while now anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's the issue is the high level it's already at simply being maintained. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you get the strangle effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same, the same is true with natural gas, which is trading, you know, between six and ten dollars, which mm-hmm. is, you know, way above its dollar forty low it made in two thousand uh, summer of two thousand twenty. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I think about the energy markets. Well, that's a natural gas price in North America. In uh, in Germany, it's uh, yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. a lot it's another story. I mean, that's that's part of the whole uh, issue that we're talking about here. Things are spinning out of control, it seems, in, in many ways. Michael, thank you so much for spending time with us again. Always great to have you. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we have to go to break now, but Dr. Quentin Henning will be back. Um, he'll be with me when we come back to talk about Lion One. Some really great news coming out of that story as they're building what looks like a very high-grade, very large-scale gold deposit. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to tell you that Quentin Henning is back with me today to give us an update on another favorite company of mine, namely Lion One Metals. Uh, both, uh, it's a favorite both in my newsletter as well as in my retirement account. No, by the way, each week I show you uh, my subscribers. I show them exactly uh, the percentage uh, commitment to each of the companies that I own in my portfolio. And uh, Lion One is one of the top five out of 27 stocks that I showed my subscribers last week. So it is truly one of uh, my favorites. It is a sponsor to this show by invitation and uh, really glad to have Quentin with us again. Uh, before I say hello to Quentin, I should tell you that Lion One trades in Canada under the symbol LIO. You buy it down here in the States as I have under the symbol LOMLF. Uh, it's 173.7 million shares out. That's after... If my calculations are right, that's after a 13.3 million financing. Uh, welcome, Quentin. You know, thank you, Jay. It's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> we, we have such an exciting story here, and uh, you know, to look at this market is just absolutely shocking. It's kind of as well. You, you, and I have been through these uh, these cycles several times. Maybe I am older than you. Maybe I've experienced one more than you have. I don't know, but. We know it's feast or famine in this industry. This is the way it goes. And it's tough, tough sledding and the downside. But boy, when things get good, they really get good. And I think our turn is coming very shortly. Um, I think Alistair McLeod, who will follow you, will probably give us some some of his views on that score. And Michael Oliver just did. So I think, um, you know, and then finally, I think what people can do now, though, when these stocks are where they are, is do their homework, do their due diligence and start to realize where the value is. And this is certainly one Lion One Metals, I think, has incredible value. Uh, we've seen some extremely good results, though that's been pretty common. High-grade um, high grade assays have been coming for some time, especially as they drill deeper in the system. And I believe it was just on October the 4th that Lion One Metals uh, put out some assays. This is from a wide diameter drill holes 
I think there were six drill holes in total that were the purpose of those were to collect data, I guess, for uh, for metallurgical purposes. And they were doing it precisely, I think, mostly in the area that they expect to mine. Uh, they are planning to go into production and not not too distant future. But I think the intent was to get the data they need, the metallurgical data they need uh, to prepare for production. But uh, could you talk to us a little bit about the results of those latest drill holes and then perhaps just put into perspective the overall exploration and development program at Lion One's uh, Tuva Two project? Certainly. Today, look, uh, nobody can complain about a lack of news out of Lion One, uh, especially recently here. This is uh, a company that's churned out some some of the most exceptional drill results. In fact, I think they hit the top 10 you know, gram meter intercepts uh, chart mm-hmm. routinely. Uh, you know, every time they put out a news release, they tend to, to fall on that that chart. Um, you know, the most recent re- results that you were talking about are, are just some of many. Um, if you recall way back in um, what seems like a year, a lifetime ago, but in June of this year, you know, they hit uh, they hit basically one of the bigger parts of the, the trunk or, you know, a large branch down at depth, we'll call mm-hmm. it. Uh, and and hit just an absolutely remarkable interval of 20.86 grams per ton gold over 75.9 meters. I mean, that's just astounding. And then they subsequently hit that uh, area multiple times. Uh, A little bit later, they had another intercept, 54.9 meters at 12.2 grams. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, if I scroll way up to even recent time here, um, they had a, a beautiful intercept here. Uh, let's see, we had uh, 19.6 meters of 21.2 grams per ton. We had 16.2 meters of, uh, that include that included uh, 16.2 meters of 25.3 grams per ton. I mean, it it's just astounding uh, what's happening at depth in that system. But these most recent results that you referred to are actual actually metallurgical holes that were drilled. Uh, in the upper part of the system, uh, so ah. the depths in which the the intervals that are reported occur, there they tend to be in the the shallower parts of the system. You know, within a few tens or even a, few, a hundred meters and change uh, of surface. Now they drilled these, as you said, in preparation for uh, doing work to build the mill uh, that goes along with this this we'll call it a pilot scale mine. The, uh, the intercepts that they had were from large diameter core, which is really important uh, when you drill in a, a high-grade system like this. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, it's nuggety. Okay, it is nuggety, uh, meaning the gold is occurs in these little fractures uh, and within a load. So a load, if you were to stand underground and look at the face, what you would see is just a, a, a labyrinth of little tiny fractures over a width of uh, say a meter and a half or two, uh, and each one of those little fractures is where the gold occurs. Right, so so there'll be little tiny gold grains. So it's not nuggety in the sense of a lot of coarse gold, but what it is, it's nuggety in the sense the gold grade is is erratically distributed mm-hmm. through the little fractures. Okay, so if you can imagine your core bit going through, and let's say you didn't, you know. Typical drilling, uh, say one and five inch inch or two and five inch inch hole, something like this. Uh, you, you know, you get you get material, but you're not going to get as much as you would with a larger large diameter hole like they don't, did for the met work here. So, these met holes are three and five inch inch diameter, and that makes a huge difference in, in the amount of volume that they're collecting. Uh, you know, like the weight of one meter of three and a five eighths inch. Um, core is is substantially higher. I think it's the difference between say around, you know, three three point something kilos for the the two and five h, up to uh, you know say eight or nine kilos for the three and five h. So it makes a huge difference. It's a lot of material, and and what that means is uh, as as they get a bigger amount of material, larger amount of material, your your nugget effect diminishes, and you also start to see a pretty consistent uh, returns in numbers. And that's what they're seeing here. So the the results from these met holes are absolutely astounding, and I think that they speak volumes about the the absolutely very extremely high quality nature of the gold system. So we have fourteen point nine six grams over twenty four meters. Uh, we got sixty five point one grams over three point two meters. Uh, <laughs> uh, just 
you know, one after another. I could read read through a whole long list of these things. And these are all at shallow depth. So these are up in what we call the, you know, I call the smaller branches of the tree. They're proving to be a very consistent, very, uh, you know, they're delivering uh, more consistent results, uh, you know, and, and more predictable results as they drill this thing on finer and finer detail. That's mm -hmm. a very, very strong plus. Why are they doing this work? Well, you know, we, we know there's a high-grade system at depth, and that's certainly a big prize for the company, but they do want to go mining. So to answer your question about wh where are they taking this project, they are moving forward to a, a small-scale mine at Tuvatu. I think it's a, a good move. Uh, you know, this market's uh, a bit of a challenge. Like if, if, if results like that came out and the market were in a resounding bull for gold, I think you would see – more of a, a left-hand side Lasson curve response to uh, right. you know to the, the the results that we're seeing, but as it is, we are in you know a, a kind of a bear market here, hopefully temporary, in the gold space, and and we're seeing more uh, emphasis on the the development side, so we're seeing more of a right-hand side, but nonetheless, if they get this into production, you could see a huge amount of value added as they they build this thing into a mine. All right, so they need to do, you know, some met work to refine their their mill design. That's great. They've got that core, that core available uh, for that work now. Uh, they're doing a lot of infill drilling in preparation, but they're also actually starting to do some drives uh, underground. They're actually mining and, and drilling and blasting and, and advancing some faces. Part of that's uh, to get more drill access underground. Part of it is to simply see what's what's going on. And they actually uh, have had. Uh, you know they've got some really exciting developments as they push through some of these these loads. They're getting uh, a firsthand look at some of these things at depth now. So expect news out of that front uh, here soon as well. Mm -hmm. Are they going to be doing some economic studies and making them public before they start uh, test mining? Um, I, I truly don't know what the plan is, uh, what the uh -huh. company's plan is in that regard. Um, I would expect they, they will release things routinely through news releases, uh, but there's no requirement at this point for the company to mm -hmm. uh, do you know publish economic studies prior to, mm -hmm. to building this trial-scale mine. That's the whole basis for a trial-scale mine, really. Right, so right. I, I, don't, I don't think that's uh, the main objective. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that said, uh, as they drill more and more, I think – that they, they will be in a position at some point within the next few months, maybe a year or so, uh, to to announce an upgraded resource. And I think, uh, especially with the, the very large structures, very large loads, lo large loads that they're hitting deeper in the system as they get down into the thicker branches and hopefully trunk, uh, I think you'll see that uh, that really move the needle. Uh, that that should add a lot to the resource potential. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what their resource was. It was less. It was was it over around a half a million ounces or? Uh, no, remember. it's uh, a bit over six hundred thousand ounces. Right. At, at uh, if I recall, three gram cutoff, and the the grades uh, are in the around the nine gram uh, grade. Right, and that's and that anticipated. I mean, I think we're anticipating at the five hundred level. I believe that's five hundred meters down, where you're getting really the juicy stuff. It should be a lot right. higher. The grades should be a lot yeah. higher. Yes, if you know, I haven't kept track where the weighted average grade is falling. Yeah. But if you just look at the drill holes that I, I talked about, you know, earlier, like nineteen point six meters to twenty one grams, yeah, that's that's higher. Uh, let's let's read some of the other ones. You know, go back to that that June news release uh, in which they hit the the first big intercept, the twenty point eight six grams per ton over seventy five point nine meters. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, so I I would expect that lower part to be considerably higher grade, perhaps mm -hmm. double the grade of what they're seeing up in the higher part of the system. Uh, yeah, and like I said, that can have a huge impact on uh, the the outcome, the but, resource that would be developed around it. But they won't be getting to that right away. The first the first two or three years, they'll be the the quote unquote lower grade stuff, which is not low grade by most. I mean, <laughs> nine, nine grams grams per ton, and who knows? Maybe the wide diameter drill holes will actually reveal higher grades. I don't I, know. I think there will be an effort. I'm not, you know, I can't make any promises myself, yeah. but I think they, there will be an effort to put the decline down into that lower uh, part of the system and get access access to that sooner than later. Um, you know, it would make sense from an economic view because you know like the like i just read the grades are on the order of twice as high as they are in the loads above 
Uh, it's not to say the loads above are bad. They're, they're high grade, <laughs> you know, but uh, if, if you have a, you know, it's like a turkey, you know, when you're covering a turkey for Thanksgiving and it says it's Canadian Thanksgiving, I can say this, right? So uh, you're, you're going to go after the breast before you go after, say, serving up the thigh or something, you know, like, you know, let's, let's go for the gusto here. All right. All right. So I guess um, the what sort of I mean, how do you have any sense of what the scale will be in the trial? I mean, very small. What fifty tons a day or something like that? Or no, 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 no. it's on the order of three hundred to three hundred fifty tons a day. Oh, okay. And so, well, that could be meaningful in in the trial period. And then, and then the next question I had, and I can't remember the answer to it, is: Can they scale up here? Do they have logistically? Is it possible? To Absolutely. scale up tonnage. Yep. Okay. Yeah. In fact, that would be the plan. If uh, if they get going at the the three hundred to three hundred fifty tons a day level, they can easily scale that up. Correct. Well, folks, you can start to do a little bit of arithmetic in your head. At nine grams, the low end of the uh, scale, uh, three hundred tons a day, ninety some percent recoveries, and you can start to figure out what kind of gold production they might be getting out of that. Well, I, I think they're well financed. They just uh, raised another thirteen million in Canadian money. I think. Um, so I guess they're okay for now. They don't have to, and they're not, you're not depending on some bank financing to get started here, which is, would require some, all of these, uh, economic studies, right? Um, that's, that is correct. As I understand it, Well, I would prefer to avoid, uh, having to go and, you know, negotiate some sort of onerous, uh, terms with, you know, you know, you, yeah. we all know where the, that can land. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know where that can land. And I was uh, an ex-banker myself on the other side of the ledger, so I, I understand. <laughs> All right. All right. Anything else? Uh, I, guess to get, I guess just keep watching the news. That should be some good news. And then, of course, what we really need to see is the markets get excited about gold again. And that may happen yeah. pretty soon. But it's, I, I, I hope so, Jay. It's been a long time here. But as far as the team goes in, in uh, Fiji, we got one of the best exploration teams on the planet. And they're really focused at this point. Like, you know, you can see the product productivity, the uh, news flow they've generated. A very, very good stream of news. So anticipate more to come. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to it. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Quentin, and all the best to you as you continue on with Thank your you. various projects. All right. Well, folks, that, uh, we do have to go to break, but don't go away uh, because we're going to have Alistair McLeod back with us um, to talk about the events at the Bank of England and what that might mean for for all of us, because this is an interconnected world and markets in England are not isolated. We can't wear our masks and uh, stay in place uh, to avoid this virus, that's for sure. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we're really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with us once again. And all of you should be uh, keeping an eye on for keeping an eye out for Alistair's weekly missives that come out uh, at goldmoney.com on the research page there uh, every Thursday. And it's uh, it's must reading if you're a serious investor. I would say it's certainly a different view than you're going to get on CNN. I mean, or at, uh, MSNBC or Bloomberg 
uh, or Fox Business even, for that matter. Um, so it's a really uh, hope that you'll pay attention to what Alistair is doing. And uh, he's here, uh, one of our most frequent guests for a reason, because uh, I value him and his work uh, as much as anybody out there. So thank you, Alistair, for being with us once again. That's my pleasure, Jay. It's really good to have you with us. On September 28th, uh, the Bank of England was scheduled to hike rates, I believe, by upwards to 1%. Instead, it pivoted to a kind of quantitative easing where they bought long-dated gilts in order to suppress the rate of interest. And now we learn just this morning that the BOE is expanding its gilt-buying program in an effort to halt market dysfunction. Uh, could you walk our listeners through the mechanics of this financial crisis? Why why is there a problem? Well, there is a problem because uh, with ultra-low interest rates, the pension funds have been unable to get the returns to match their liabilities. Mm-hmm. So what they have been doing instead is they have been um, uh, you know, investing, if you like, via um, specialist uh, derivative guys uh, in um, uh, uh, leverage to try and leverage up the difference between the cost of money and the returns on on gilts. And they do this basically uh, through through the repo market uh, and also interest rate swaps. But the repo market is probably the important one. Uh, And the great thing about repos is that you can leverage up hugely there is a limit on the degree of leveraging up, and that's seven times. <laughs> but the downside on this, the downside on this is that um, if, let us say, the value of the collateral starts falling, which in this case is, you know, is, is guilt put up as collateral by the pension funds, then uh, they have to top the situation up. So, um, you know, they need to raise the cash in order to to provide the extra collateral. So um, what it's done is it created a run on the gilt market. Now, to some extent, uh, the idea that the problem is only this is completely wrong, because if you look at the yields on the U.S. 10 Treasury, 10 year Treasury, the yields on the euro um, 10 year Treasuries for the various uh, uh, um, member nations of the eurozone, uh, you see exactly the same thing. Uh, these uh, bond rates are rising, and they're going to continue to rise. And furthermore, we know from the rate of inflation in most of these uh, countries uh, that um, they've got to rise even further. And it's that that is putting huge, great strains on the system. So I think any nation which has a large level of uh, repo outstanding I think is it signals that they've got a real problem, uh, and uh, in the UK there's certainly a fair amount of uh, uh, of repos which are being done by pension funds and presumably to a lesser extent by insurance companies as well. But the real problem I think is going to be in the eurozone, where the level of repos is enormous. Um, the whole of the eurozone eurozone financial system basically works on on uh, repos. It is that that uh, creates the um, imbalances in the target two system. Uh, and um, that, is a, that is a bomb which I think is due to blow up. And it'll blow up um, just as surely as the gilt market has blown up in the face of the Bank of England in London. So it won't just be the Bank of England intervening in the markets. I think in a very short order, we'll find that the ECB is doing the same thing. The situation in America is rather different because um, uh, the re- outstanding repos are not that much, um, but the reverse repos, which basically go the other way. In other words, what happens is there's too much liquidity in 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 the uh, banking system, uh-huh. and it is being absorbed by the Fed, uh, and they're paying um, a rate of interest for it. Uh, that, you know, those reverse repos are effectively taking liquidity out of the system. So in America, it's the other way around. But there is no doubt that what we're facing, Jay, is the early stages of a wider derivative uh, problem. And uh, that should actually scare us. And we've seen this, I think, probably. This is probably behind the problems that Credit Suisse have faced, because Credit Suisse 
um, certainly has its problems, but no more than any other of the European banks. And um, I mean, I look at the the rating for Deutsche Bank in the market, and it's very, very similar. Um, we know they've had problems over, the, over, over time. But when I look at Credit Suisse, and I sort of think, what is it that we don't know about? And um, the more I look at it, I think it has probably got something to do with derivatives coming going wrong for them. Um, and that the derivative market. I mean, we're talking about six hundred trillion trillion worth equivalent. Yeah, that is the total outstanding OTC market according to the Bank of International Settlements um, as of last year. We don't have more more recent figures, but um, that is the amount that the derivatives, the over-the-counter derivatives actually stand at. And this is, I think, very concerning. So you can see that any trouble, if you like, in the derivative space is going to have enormous quant uh, uh, consequences. And the problem with derivatives is that ordinary people like us who don't deal in these over-the-counter derivatives, unless you actually do have a bit of an understanding what they're about. This is this is the tip of a of a mountain which you don't even know exists. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it is it is an extraordinary situation. Well, last week you mentioned to me that you thought the BOE's action on the twenty eighth of September may well be a, a turning point. And between then and now, are you equally convinced or more convinced that that may have signaled a an inflection point? Yeah, um, more than ever. And just, but just to clarify, um, when I say it's it's a turning point, it's a turning point in the wrong direction. It's a turning point, I think, towards crisis rather than what we would normally regard as a turning point in markets, and that is that the market has now found a bottom and we're about to recover. I'm afraid this is not the sort of turning point you really want to dwell on. It's, um, I think, we are literally on the edge of. The banking crisis, which I've expected for some considerable time, there is a very high risk that it's going to happen in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, well, as you mentioned, it's not just the UK. It's uh, Europe is in trouble. But also, um, you put out a tweet on the Bank of Japan, the Japanese yen, I guess it was. Um, you know, you, you tweeted this, you showed this chart in this sort of wedge in which it looks as though the yen is in real big trouble. Clearly, it, it seems to me that the Bank of Japan has done what you, you know, what you talk frequently about uh, in uh, the uh, 1720 France with the Mississippi bubble and how they try to defend those securities. It, it, it looks to me as if the Bank of Japan is trying to, they're suppressing interest rates. Their interest rates are, I think, something like 0.255, which is already way over, um, it's over over their line in the sand, as you point out. And you you put out this chart, which of course people can't see we're here on this audio format, but uh, it looks as if the uh, the yen could be ready to almost evaporate into nothingness. Well, uh, certainly, I think um, when it breaks this 145 level convincingly, it's currently staying at about one, 145.6 or something, uh -huh. um, then I think 150 is in target. And um, I don't see why it should stop there. Um, the, the Bank of Japan has the same problem as the other central banks. Um, it has been accumulating uh, bonds and, in, in uh, its case, other investments as well, um, even equities through mm -hmm. ETFs. It's been a very, very big buyer of all financial securities. Wow. Um, and uh, the problem is that with rising interest rates, the value of these um, uh, investments, mm -hmm. if you like, like to call it that, uh, starts going down. So the result is that there is a huge deficit on the Bank of Japan's balance sheet. Uh, and it wipes out um, its um, uh, equity capital many, many times over. Um, I was also looking at the eurozones, uh, the euro system, which is basically the ECB and the various national central banks. Um, they're all underwater. They are all net liabilities on their balance sheet. Um, now, this sort of thing, I suppose, might not matter hugely in the normal course of events. But remember that these central banks are charged with underwriting the whole financial system. Uh, 
and uh, ensuring that banks do not go, commercial banks do not go under. So we have the potential mess of uh, uh, central banks which need to recapitalize themselves, which in most cases is quite easy to do. But what an embarrassing time to do it when you have got um, such uh, uh, strongly contracting bank credit. At the moment, it's hitting financial markets rather than, um, if you like, the non-financial sector. But though actors in the non-financial sector are finding that when they go to the banks, the banks say no. I mean, it's as simple as that. So, um, this is a situation where we've got the central banks are bust and they are the people who are going to save the commercial banking network. You know, this is not this is not looking good. Well, you pointed out some time ago and I even even the Fed here, uh, you know, they bought all these securities and interest rates are rising. So the value of those securities are are declining dramatically and that most of them are, you know, technically insolvent. I think most of the central banks. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as to uh, the point about the Fed, um, the Fed in, uh, it, it, it published a sort of a quarterly review, if you like, of the um, situation. And um, I think from memory, it was showing that uh, the loss, the valuation loss on um, its its balance sheet from uh, you know bonds, you know treasury notes, and all the rest of it, uh, is in the region of eight hundred. Uh, billion dollars. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, I would um, draw your attention to the increase, the subsequent increase in uh, bond yields, which I would have thought would take that loss to over a trillion dollars. So this is a situation which is not good. But um, what I would say is that the dangers that um, America faces, um, the, the American banking system faces, are not so much from, um, uh, if you like, the domestic economy, the domestic markets, though there are dangers there, because your banks are better capitalized than certainly the Japanese, certainly the Eurozone, and certainly most of the British banks, they're far better capitalized. And on that basis, I think that they can weather things a lot better. But the problem is that if you have, let's say, the eurozone uh, falling over, um, then you've got the, all the counterparty risks and all the rest of it. So um, I think that confidence uh, would um, help undermine the situation, as well as the reality, if you like, of the transmission of problems through the global systemic, systemically important banking system. So this is this is um, I think we really are on the edge of a banking precipice. I mean, that's that's the only conclusion I can come to. Um, uh, mind you, I'm, I do tend to be um, too early in these prognostications. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, don't don't hold me to account if it doesn't happen for a month or two. But I would like to just point out that the dangers underneath the hood are very, very considerable. Well, let's suppose that the yen continues in its direction and it busts through those key levels that you're looking at. At what point do you think that that might cause some consternation, lack of confidence in the other major central banks of the West and in the, in the investment community? Yes, I don't think that um, uh, in, in that sense, the yen is a problem. Um, uh -huh. I can see that, I mean, basically, the Bank of Japan has got exactly the same problems as other central banks. Um, uh, you know, they, they've, they've, they've bet the house on uh, low interest rates and interest uh -huh. rates never rising. And, um, you know, I would have to say that the same is with the ECB, the same is with the Bank of England, and the same is, 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 in, is indeed true with the Fed, though the uh -huh. Fed is perhaps... Um, a bit more proactive in dealing with the near-term situation. But all these central banks are progressing on the basis that inflation will come back to their 2% mandated level. I mean, that's a load of rubbish, but that is actually what they're saying. That, I think, is what they're now hoping. I mean, you know, so this is quite a... Uh, a, a serious situation. Um, I don't... I think... That, I mean, the Bank of Japan... It is least blessed with a domestic market where people um, don't actually rush out and pay higher prices for things. They tend to hold on to their money. And this is why the um, indicated rate of inflation in Japan is running at about 3% while it's about 10% elsewhere. So um, this is a, an important point to understand. The confidence that the domestic users of the currency have in the currency is far greater 
than uh, domestic users of currencies in other jurisdictions. That is the difference with Japan. What's happening with Japan is that the uh, the currency is being undermined by the situation as international operators look at it and see that, you know, this is something the yen is going down. We don't want to have a part of it. This is yet to be recognized in the domestic market. All right. Uh, really, so many more questions I want to get to. But I, uh, you, you've talked on this show about the competing currency, uh, the non-fiat currency that Russia and China seem to be moving towards um, a, a commodity-based currency, commodity-based uh, currency. And I would I would guess that they're very much aware of the problems that are going on among the NATO-based countries, the NATO countries. Uh, and they must be licking their chops right now, thinking in terms of, well, we maybe we can't beat them in a kinetic war, but we can beat them financially. And I'm just wondering, um, you've made the point that you believe the, what they're proposing, uh, this sort of commodity currency-based uh, trading currency would morph into a gold-backed currency. Now, when I talk to people, uh, not financial people necessarily, they think that's rubbish. They can't envision ever again seeing a gold-backed currency. Uh, can you explain just in two minutes <laughs> well, well, how, how it could would normally morph into a gold-backed currency? Right. Well, the first thing that you have to tell the naysayers is that money is only one thing. There's gold. That is the legal position. Whatever you may wish, gold is the only form of money that exists. All the rest is credit. Now, when you understand that, you begin to understand the importance of the relationship between credit and gold. You need to have gold in order to secure the purchasing power of a fiat currency. I mean, you know, it's as simple as that. It's a discipline on the central banks, which the central banks don't want and governments don't want. They want to be able to pluck the magic money tree as much as possible. So, um, the point about what the Russians are doing is they are now, I think, seeing the financial system in the West beginning to, uh, if, if, if not collapse, certainly have extreme difficulties. And under those circumstances, I think it's it's not just a question of, of, of uh, uh, if you like, war tactics. It's a question of uh, insulating the ruble, insulating the Chinese yuan from the problems of the West. And uh, their gold reserves stand there, if you like, to help them do that. And I think that's the important point. Yeah, they've built up tremendous gold reserves, China and Russia. Uh, and I know uh, we don't, we're not quite sure how many uh, how many millions of ounces we have, but that's another story for another day. We're out of time, unfortunately. Alistair, thank you so much for sharing your, your insights once again with us. It's always always greatly appreciated. My pleasure, Jay. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this uh, week. Next week, Daniel McAdams, who is with Congressman Ron Paul as his foreign affairs advisor. Um, he still works with Dr. Paul, actually. And, uh, well, he'll be our, our main guest next week, and I expect to have another surprise guest or two. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.